It's been a busy week in Illinois state government and politics as trial got underway for the so-called ComEd 4. Governor J.B. Pritzker says tax cuts may be on the table this year. Lawmakers considered lifting a moratorium on new nuclear construction. And for the first time this session, the Illinois House began voting on bills, including one that could affect how much you pay for an Uber or Lyft ride. The Capital News Illinois team is here to catch you up to date on all that in this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock and I'm here today with the CNI team to catch up on what has been a remarkable week. One of the biggest stories this week, however, was not taking place in the State House, but rather a federal courtroom in Chicago where four people from the utility giant Commonwealth Edison are on trial, accused of engaging in a years-long scheme to bribe and influence former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan. Madigan himself will go on trial next year on related charges. Hannah Meisel has been in the courtroom covering that. Hannah, who are the defendants and what are they accused of doing? Sure. So the four who stand accused are Mike McLean, a longtime lobbyist for ComEd and very close friend and confidant of Mike Madigan. Uh, two of his fellow co-lobbyists, John Hooker and Jay Doherty, who had long lobbied for ComEd. And Anne Promajore, the former CEO of ComEd. And, uh, you know, taken together, the government's theory is that the four of them conspired to bribe former House Speaker Mike Madigan with jobs and contracts for his political allies in exchange to help get their uh, preferred legislation over the finish line in Springfield. This is three key pieces of legislation in 2011, 2013, and 2016 that were very helpful to comment and also proved very lucrative for the utility. What's been going on uh, for the first few days of the trial? What sort of case is the prosecution putting on here? So Tuesday was a very long day of jury selection. Uh, The uh, judge and attorneys for both the government and defense questioned, gosh, nearly 100 potential jurors until, you know, they got to a number that they could then move to the next day and from there select uh, 12 and then six alternates. On Wednesday, opening arguments on both sides got started. The governance theory is, like I said, that uh, McLean especially and the three others conspired to bribe Madigan with these things that were valuable to him because ComEd is a huge employer. It is utility, so it's kind of a, a regulated monopoly. And so, you know, the money is flowing from ratepayers. Um And it's kind of a sure thing um, in terms of a job. It's a very stable employer. And so the government theory is that Madigan wanted jobs and contracts from ComEd for his political allies. So he could, you know, then in turn give favors to those close to him or those who he wanted to further influence. Um, And then ComEd on their side allegedly got speakers help in order to cross the finish line with these huge bills. The defense's, uh, you know, argument is that Madigan was never a fan of utilities. He didn't lift a finger to help ComEd. And this is all just kind of circumstantial 
these are nothing more than, you know, job recommendations, which is perfectly legal. And furthermore, you know, why did ComEd spend millions and millions of dollars on lobbying and, you know, other efforts to get these three pieces of legislation passed uh, if they had uh, Madigan in their back pocket? You know, uh, one of the lines from Anne Pomajore, uh, the ex-CEO of ComEd, her defense attorney said, did Anne forget that Mike Madigan was in ComEd's back pocket? Uh, why did they work so hard then, you know, over these years to get these pieces of legislation passed? Okay, so a lot of this case, as I understand it, is built on secretly recorded phone calls and conversations, people wearing wires. Um, have we heard Mike Madigan on those tapes? I mean, what do those tapes tell us? That's right. So we heard the first of those tapes yesterday uh, on Thursday afternoon. That is when former uh, state representative Lou Lang, who is a longtime ally of Madigan's, and he rose to the third top spot in the House. Uh, he was on the witness stand. He'd been subpoenaed to testify. And a nearly 10-minute tape played. And I'll play you a little bit uh, just for setup. Um, Lang, in the fall of 2018, he had already been accused by a woman earlier that year of harassment. The allegations there proved pretty thin. And he was kind of unscathed. He had resigned from his leadership position, but as uh, he told us yesterday, you know, he had fully expected to get that leadership position back. Uh, and not only that, to advance in the House and someday maybe even become House Speaker. But here he is in a phone call with McLean and McLean is telling him, basically, that's not going to happen because there are possible further uh, allegations of harassment that Lang needs to know about. So this is no longer this is no longer me talking. I'm an agent, somebody that cares deeply about you, who thinks that you really ought to move on. Um, so that tells me that that person is uh, no longer interested in moving me up in leadership, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. So that was, of course, McLean telling Lang that he was speaking as a quote-unquote agent of Madigan. And that's, of course, what the government lawyers want the jury to think of McLean as, you know, this agent. Uh, and then here is McLean and Madigan talking about the Lang situation. And I think this is in November of 2018. So a few weeks after McLean had called Lang and uh, here's what he has to say to Madigan. So when do you want him to call Lang and just lower the boom on him? Because uh, he, he's not getting, he's not getting it. Oh, I mean, he understands it, but he doesn't like hearing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, sooner rather than later. Okay. I'll do it. And there was a lot of clips that we heard yesterday, but um, this is then a clip of McLean talking to a top staffer in Madigan's office, kind of counseling him on how to always put the speaker's uh, best interest in front of everything else. And I finally came to peace with that maybe 20 years ago when I convinced myself that my client is the speaker. Mm -hmm. My client is not Comrade. My client is not the CBOE. My client is not Walgreens. My client is the Speaker. So pretty uh, interesting recordings we heard in the courtroom yesterday, and the trial continues on Monday. And how long do we think that trial is going to go on? It is supposed to be uh, about six to eight weeks, which would put us in uh, early May. Wow. Okay. We'll look forward to your continuing coverage on that. 
Meanwhile, as that trial is going on, action continues in the state house in Springfield, including work on a state budget for the upcoming fiscal year, which is always the biggest task of the legislative session. State House Bureau Chief Jerry Nowicki always keeps an eye on revenues and finances. Jerry, we've explained before how revenues have been growing and state finances have been improving, so much so that the state got another credit upgrade this week. It's eighth in less than two years. Now Governor Pritzker is suggesting that tax cuts could be on the table. Uh, how likely is that? And what exactly did he say? So the governor's statement was sort of, uh, I had asked him, you know, the revenue uh, projections have been upped by about a billion dollars between the current fiscal year and next. Just uh, last week, I think it was during a meeting of the Commission on Government Forecasting Accountability. And I said, you know, what are you thinking of doing with those revenues? And he says, well, I'd like to see some of that perhaps pay pension debt. I'd like to see some of that go to the rainy day fund and potentially you know, if we're comfortable with the level of revenues, um, maintaining some level of stability, I'd like to speak with both Republicans and Democrats as to how we can cut taxes potentially. Now, I wanted to follow up and didn't have the time. You know, the big question there is, OK, is, is he considering a temporary tax relief package uh, akin to one we saw last year, which was maybe a $50 check to an Illinoisan uh, or 100 for a, a, a married couple? Um, more depending on the number of kids you have, and then some relief for uh, homeowners on property taxes, and then a permanent expansion of the earned income tax credit. So we don't know, basically, if he's going to consider, uh, let's say, a permanent uh, lowering of the state income tax, which seems less likely than a temporary package. But we will try to follow up uh, as early as today with the governor to get some more details as to what he's considering. Okay, I do remember last year the governor took some heat from Republicans uh, because those were sort of one time or temp most of them were one time or temporary tax relief measures uh, like pausing the one percent grocery tax and pausing the automatic increase in motor fuel taxes. Uh, Republicans thought that there should be uh, some permanent tax relief in there. Uh, how are they reacting to the idea that the governor might put more tax relief on the table? Yeah, the Republican leadership I reached out to, they each, uh, shared statements and it was like, oh, we're encouraged by the talk of tax uh, cuts. Um, here's the some of the things they had said was uh, the estate tax needs another look. Uh, Leader Curran from Downers Grove uh, in the Senate, he said, uh, we'd like to see the governor uh, reinstate the Blue Collar Jobs Act, which is essentially a a uh, package of tax incentives for businesses that uh, they approved on bipartisan lines and the governor signed into law in 2019, but either through legislation or the governor's action, those have been frozen um, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic and never reinstated. So um, that's what they'd like to see. But really, uh, their, their uh, statements also said, you know, We'd like to be a little bit more involved in the uh, working group discussions that sort of lead to the budget as well. So uh, just kind of uh, optimistic, but also uh, skeptical because of, you know, the history of it essentially being a partisan budget most years. OK, uh, so rating agencies like Moody's and S&P 
they have been liking the idea that Illinois has excess revenues and the state's been using that to pay down debt and pension obligations. Is there any thought about how they might respond to the idea of Illinois giving excess revenues back to taxpayers? Yeah, as someone who's read those reports, uh, you have as well. I think it's just that if there is some level of permanent uh, tax cuts, I think there'd be some uh, trepidation from from Moody's and they'd say, oh, you know, this isn't a wise use of funds considering, you know, there's one hundred and thirty nine roughly billion dollars of unpaid pension debts. Um, so a, a temporary package, I think, might be easier for them to stomach uh, as credit raging aid reading agencies, but I think that's kind of the gist of it. Okay. Well, we'll follow that as the session goes along. Uh, Meanwhile, another one of Governor Pritzker's priorities has been putting Illinois on a path to zero carbon emission energy. Uh, While environmentalists love that idea, not all of them are in love with one of the ways to reach that goal, which is nuclear energy. But now some lawmakers, including some who might call themselves environmentalists, say that's something Illinois needs to take a new look at. Andrew Adams wrote an extensive story about that this week, which you can find at CapitalNewsIllinois.com. Andrew, can you sum this up for us? What exactly are they looking at? Sure. So lawmakers are considering two effectively identical proposals that would Uh, lift a moratorium on the construction of new nuclear reactors in the state. That that moratorium has been on the books since the 1980s and was initially introduced as a way to ensure that the country and the state have a way to manage nuclear waste. These proposals have a bipartisan support. They both passed out of committee with uh, large majorities Uh, One of the proposals was introduced by a Democrat, Representative Mark Walker, and the other was introduced by Republican Senator Sue Rezin. So far, they've gotten support from the nuclear industry and some environmentalists, although the largest environmental groups are really concerned with this because those groups don't see nuclear as clean energy. They're, They're worried about waste disposal and waste storage. Okay, um, it seems like... Since the Three Mile Island nuclear accident in the 1970s, there have been very few new nuclear plants go online in the United States. Uh, We now have a pretty aging fleet of them right now, Uh, but there has been new nuclear development in Europe and Asia and places like that. And I guess the design of these plans has kind of evolved over time. Um, New designs. Can you tell us a little bit about how these plants are different from what we're used to seeing around the United States? Absolutely. Uh, The real innovation in the past decade or two in nuclear reactor design has been a move towards micro reactors and small modular reactors, essentially uh, new designs for the actual reaction uh, science, as well as scaling them down. So they will be the size that could power a factory or part of a town. Um, If a traditional nuclear reactor outputs two or 3,000 megawatts, these new designs will output 50, 300 maybe. Uh, The proponents of these and the designers of these new reactors say that they're much more safe, although critics are going to tell you that 
they're still fairly untested. One of these designs have been approved in the US. Uh, and there are uh, two reactors at this scale that I know of, one in Russia and one in China. Uh, so whether or not they really are much safer is still a little bit yet to be tested. Uh, and it'll be an interesting space to watch in the next decade or two as more of these reactors come online, more of these reactors are built in research settings, and final regulatory approval is given to more of the designs. Okay, and I think as you reported, uh, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign is looking to develop one of these reactors primarily for research purposes, not really as a power plant. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, a team at the U of I is building a microreactor. They're hoping to get approval and have it online by 2028. Uh, they say that this reactor will be a demonstration of how these smaller reactors can be integrated into power grids and how they can be uh, used in industrial settings and, and other uh, uses for smaller nuclear reactors. Um, I will say that it's a bit of a case study in how the public is going to handle having more nuclear reactors and smaller ones nearer to population centers. There's already been pushback in the, the Champaign-Urbana community uh, from some folks who are worried about having a nuclear reactor basically in the center of that city. Okay, well, we'll keep following that. And finally, this week, we actually saw legislation moving out of the Illinois House. And one of them had to do with ride share services like Uber and Lyft, which so far have always been treated differently than taxi cabs and other kinds of public transportation. Nika Schoonover, our public affairs reporting program intern, has been following that. Nika, fill us in. What's going on? Yeah, so House Bill 2231 um, passed out of the House floor this week. Basically, it would make rideshare companies such as Uber and Lyft um, common carriers, which would open them up for liability in case incidents occur. Um, currently, other common carriers include, as you mentioned, taxis, um, railways, and even elevators. Okay, so how would treating them as common carriers uh, be different? Uh, how would it affect them? How would that be different? Yeah. So currently Uber and Lyft aren't responsible when incidents between drivers and passengers occur. Um, if they become common carriers, then they also become liable for when those incidents happen. Okay. And there was a pretty high profile incident in Illinois where uh, a woman was assaulted by a driver from one of these services. Uh, do you remember what happened with that case? Yeah, so that case appeared in front of the Illinois Supreme Court, but was ultimately settled. Um, the woman, Jane Doe, she was sexually assaulted by a Lyft driver, and she wanted the court to treat um, Uber and Lyft as common carriers so that they could be liable for this assault. Uh, however, when the appellate court decision came out, they basically said because Illinois law specifically says that rideshare companies are not common carriers, they cannot be liable for these incidents. Okay. And so that has passed out of the House. It now goes over to the Senate. Do we have any idea what the prospects are there? 
In the House, they got a 73-36 vote, um, primarily Democratic support. Um, I'm sure there will continue to be um, certain Republican opposition to the bill, um, but I guess we'll just have to see going forward. Okay, well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with significant funding from the Robert R. McCormick Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock on behalf of the CNI News team saying thank you for listening.